And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is John Stone Street, a familiar voice here at Redeemer. And he is co-host of Breakpoint with Eric Metaxas, host of Breakpoint This Week, and host of the one-minute show The Point, and also executive director of operations at Summit Ministries. John, it's a pleasure to have you on with us today. Thanks. It's great to be on. You guys were involved with something pretty big here a while ago. Um, it was called Restoring All Things, big conference, and um, that's what we'd like to talk about today. What was that all about? And, you know, to to preface it, you know, John, it, it seems like the news is always negative, and you kind of feel like things are falling apart and we're going downhill, and I love this uh, this idea of restoring all things. So maybe you can share with our listeners today what that's all about. Well, you know, in the last uh, a couple of years here, I've uh, co-authored two books. The first one had to do with that very popular topic, uh, same-sex marriage, you know, and, and people ask, why did you write a book on that? And I said, well, we just hoping to make more friends and thought that would be the easiest way. I mean, we, we you know, and people laugh when I say that because this is a contentious topic, as contentious as it gets. And it's, it's one in which I think many Christians feel like um, the culture has so quickly gone away uh, from a just a long-standing uh, understanding of you know the Christian view of, of marriage and sexuality that it's almost shocking. In fact, I had one pastor look at me and say, "John, it's over. We've lost." And um, you know what, what I what, what I was convinced of after writing that book is that you know there, there's an awful lot of uh, you know cultural challenges that that we face, and, and things are going to get difficult in many ways. And yet, we are mistaken if we think somehow that a Supreme Court decision or a judge's uh, overreach is going to put Jesus Christ back in the grave. Mm. And that's the truth, right, that we stand on. And so a friend of mine, uh, Warren Smith, uh, who is a uh, vice president of World News Group and a writer at World Magazine and just one of my closest friends, uh, you know, Warren and I were together talking about this, and we, we were just feeling a need to help call the Church back to a sense of cultural hope. And so that led to this other book idea, uh, which is Restoring All Things. And of course, that's not our line, that's the line from uh, throughout the Scripture. You know, Paul talks about, you know, God at work through Christ reconciling all men to himself. Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. Uh, You know, that's John's quote of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And and, and so many times we, we see words for the Gospel uh, you know, being described in the Scripture as restorative and renewing and reconciling and resurrecting and so on. And, and we realize, you know what, that's, you know, that's the agenda that God has in the world. That's the agenda that God has with people. And uh, that's what we wanted to do. And, and we wanted to do it in a particular sort of way, but the overall message was to help people understand that there is hope. You know, Peter was writing to a group of Christians who were facing incredibly uh, difficult cultural pressure, uh, you know, under Nero. And what Peter said is always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. You know, it, it, and it wasn't as if, you know, it, you know, if you can find hope, you know, then people will ask you. It, you know, it's, it's basically, it's assumed that Christians have hope. And the Bible assumes that throughout. And so we felt like there was a great deal of hopelessness taking place and that hope needed to be restored, because it is the truth. Christ has risen indeed, and no cultural event is going to change that. Now, uh, John, we know that um, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain, and that 
change has to come from the very um, soul of man as, as God works a work of grace in his heart by faith. And yet uh, we don't want to also make an excuse for spiritualizing everything. Uh, how do you balance all of this with uh, doing good works in this world? Well, you know, this is this is where we really have to dig deep and and and, uh, and focus in on what we we see in the scriptures, and and this really was you know the approach that we wanted to take uh, in the book. Um, first of all, we realized that if you look at the scripture as a as the grand narrative of all things, you know, which is precisely what it is. I mean, it begins with the creation of the heavens and earth, and culminates in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, you realize that. You know, there, there's kind of, you know, Chuck Colson would, would sum up the chapters, as do many others of the Bible this way, creation, fall, and redemption. And we know the creation applies to the entire cosmos, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything that exists was brought into existence by God. We know that the fall, the scope of the fall, was as broad and as deep as the creation itself. So the creation itself, Romans 8 says, you know, is crying out as a woman in childbirth, having been subjected to frustration. Uh, you know, the, the the work of Adam and Eve in the garden, the the, the filling and uh, you know uh, uh, subduing, w- w- you know, was complicated and frustrated and made very painful in the fall. You know, the, the curses that the filling is going to hurt and the forming is going to be really tough. The, you know, the subduing, and um, so the, the, the scope of the fall is as wide as creation. And then we get to redemption, and sometimes we think, well, wait a minute. Redemption only has to do with human souls. But if you look at Scripture, so many times the scope of redemption is, the, you know, the Bible says things in the, in the New Testament, like the earth will be freed from decay. Romans 8, that same passage where we learn that the creation is crying out as a woman in childbirth, also says uh, that, that it's, it's waiting for the revelation of the children of God. And, and it's interesting, not the revelation of the Son of God, Jesus, but the revelation of the children of God. In other words, the, the, the image bearers, uh, Adam and Eve and, and all of us frustrated the creation by our sin, and it's the, in many ways the restoration of the creation comes through the restoration of the image bearers. Now, there's a kind of a, a, a one of the things that Christians have done, I think, is because of um, maybe an overemphasis on eschatology in, in times, is, is that we see hope as being getting out of here. You know, hope is you know basically when the earth blows up and we're out of here. And I, I don't want to argue that the specifics of the end times, this is a very important conversation, but I'm going to look at the Scripture itself, actually communicate that as Christians, we have redemptive, restorative work to do in the power of the Holy Spirit because of the work, the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, and, and, and that, you know, you just get the impression throughout the entire New Testament that God really loves rewords, you know, because there's all these rewords. There's The most important one, I think, uh, at least I say most important. I can't say one word in the Bible is more important than the other. I'll, I'll say it's my favorite. I'm, I'm allowed to have favorites, right? Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter 5, um, Paul talks that God was in Christ reconciling men to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And he repeats it almost immediately, right? And you know this is a letter that's going to be read in, 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 in a church setting, and so repetition, Paul really wants you to get this, right? that God was in Christ reconciling men to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So reconciled ones are to become reconcilers. And we have to take seriously the scope of God's reconciliation. You know, this is, again, what does Jesus say? Uh, Behold, I make all things new. And so what we wanted to to challenge is, 
in some senses, is that Christians' cultural engagement for quite some time has been really primarily, not always, in fact, I don't, I don't even want to say, all, you know, not, not even always, because one of the things we did in the book is tell remarkable stories of Christians who are doing amazing things uh, in the name of Jesus everywhere. But, but the most, I guess the most visible cultural engagement that Christians have is to spend an awful lot of time uh, essentially yelling at the top of culture, uh, yelling at Hollywood, yelling at D.C. And trust me, there's lots to yell at. I yell too, right? But if we yell at the top of culture, those are arenas where most of us will never have influence. Now, some Christians do, and if they have influence, if God has placed them there, they need to, you know, do what they do, whatever their hand finds to do, they need to do it with every with all their might. But the rest of us, you know, we, we have influence in, in, in what some people would call the middle of culture, you know, mediating institutions, families, churches, communities, voluntary associations, local governments, local school systems. Uh, local brokenness that we see around us, we do have abilities to make a difference in our own backyards. And I feel like sometimes what happens when we lose hope is that all of our attention goes to the top of culture, and therefore we don't do anything about what we can actually do something about. Mm. And And I think what Scripture calls us to mostly is the middle, not the top, you know? What can we do something about? And what can we fix? What can we protect? What can we stop? What can we contribute? And when we start looking around that way, well, in fact, that's exactly what we did in the book. Um, Warren and I started to look around. Of course, Warren works for World Magazine. They tell amazing stories week after week after week on their website and their print magazine of Christians that are helping the poor uh, in a way that actually helps the poor and doesn't hurt them in their own cities. They tell amazing stories of, of those that are promoting a Christian imagination to arts and storytelling. They tell amazing stories. At Breakpoint, we do the same thing. And so what we did is we started to compile these stories, and we were amazed at, at what the effectiveness can be. And I kind of felt like Elijah after Mount Carmel. Remember when he you know, had that great victory, and then Jezebel said he, she was going to kill him, so he ran out into the wilderness and pouted, and he said, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. And, and then God showed up and said, you have no idea of all of these other folks, all these other prophets that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You know, thousands. And when we started compiling these stories, that's what I felt like. You know, you get hopeless about culture, and then you see God is at work restoring all things. And we are invited to participate in that restoration. Now, we don't do it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. It's God being sovereign to culminate his grand story of the cosmos. But he invites us to join it. And it's such a successful project. Why wouldn't we join it, right? I mean, why wouldn't we? And, and, the whole, and this is the source of our hope. Christ has risen. It, it's it's a secure thing, and so off we go. And so that's really what we wanted to do, um, you know, with the book. And you mentioned earlier the events. We had a, a couple events around the country as well, and they were just great, encouraging times. Hopefully, inspiring all of us to go and do likewise. Mm. I'm thinking uh, today of, of of maybe a mother in a home, and she's got young children, and. Uh, mm-hmm perhaps um, is is a bit frustrated thinking, oh, there's nothing I can do. Um, this applies directly to her, this this redemptive, restorative work that she is doing uh, day in and day out, raising her young children and caring for them. Well, that's right. And, and also being a presence in her neighborhood and also cleaning her house. 
you know? Um, you know, I, and we, we quote somebody in the book, and forgive me for not remembering who the author of this is, you know, if you want to change the world, start by cleaning your room. <laughs> and, and I think there's something really powerful to that. Again, if we believe that God created this world, that this world has been infected by sin, and that God is at work restoring all things, well, that's all things. And uh, one of the things we did is we, we have a series of questions, and three of these questions, um, uh, you know, I, I, I've been using for the last couple of years, and then um, uh, I, I borrowed a, a, the fourth question from somebody else. But, but here's, here, here's the question that I think all of us can ask about the various mission fields that we have, the spheres of influence. The first question is this, what is good that I can protect, promote, and preserve? What is good? Right now, I think, for example, one of those things is religious liberty. We think religious liberty is a Supreme Court thing. A lot of religious liberty challenges are happening at the at the local level, uh, local you know ordinances and civil rights administ- you know civil rights little you know groups you know in a town that are well meaning uh, you know but misguided and. Um, you know, if we, if religious freedom is one of the great gifts that the Church gave to the world, and we know we can look around the world and see what happens in communities where there is no religious freedom, and, and that's something that we can protect. I think beauty, right? The arts, uh, you know, th- there are programs and local things that the Church can protect uh, that brings good things to the world, that makes people think bigger thoughts than just their everyday selves, which points them to God. So, What's good that we can protect, promote, and preserve? The second one is what's missing that we can contribute. The Church has a remarkable history of saying, you know what, if there was this... I'm thinking of Gutenberg, right? Gutenberg said, if there was something to make books easier to distribute, I wonder what could happen with the Gospel. And so that's what he did. He took a wine press, and he has this great line as he's printing his first Bible thing, something along the lines of, you know, let this wine press give the world the best wine ever, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's my translation of it. But anyway, it, it, basically, that he saw something missing, and he added it. Um, I, the third question is, what's evil that we can stop? Uh, some of the great movements in history, the abolitionist movement took this. Now, the temptation is for us to say, well, I'm no Wilberforce. Wilberforce stopped slavery. I'm no Wilberforce. Well, what evil can you stop? What evil is there in your town? The Christians have, you know, basically, uh, you know, made, in some communities, made porn much harder to access. They've made sex traffickers not welcome there. They, they, they've, they, they've made, you know, the abuse of, of the mistreatment of children and women you know, un- intolerable in, in a community. Um, what's what's evil that we can stop? And then finally, what's broken? And you, you go back to your example of the mother. What's evil that you can stop? Every mother can think about four things, right? With their kids, that attitude, that behavior. And these are good gifts to the world. And then the final question is this, what's broken that we can fix? What's, what's broken that we can restore? Uh, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a hurt feeling. Maybe it's a community. Uh, we tell a remarkable story there uh, of our friend Chris Brooks, who's a pastor at Detroit, Michigan. You talk about a broken city, and yet he is tackling neighborhood by neighborhood, rebuilding opportunity, rebuilding lives, restoring families. It's remarkable stuff that he's doing as a pastor, not an inward-focused pastor where he's going around saying, everybody comes to church. I mean, he's doing that, but it's also, here's what the church can offer the world in the name of Jesus. And so people are coming to Christ because they see how God, a biblical worldview, can restore brokenness. So those are four questions I think everybody can ask wherever they're at about whatever's happening around them.
They're very helpful questions. How do you get over the the tendency to be shy? Uh, maybe you've never done things before out in the community. You feel shy. Any advice for folks? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's such a that's such a great question, and I uh, people would never believe this about me, but I'm an introvert myself. I'm one of those weird speaker introverts, right? So, if I'm you know anonymous like this when I'm on a phone call, I can be very energetic, but in a, <laughs> you know, in a, in a group of new people, it changes things. But um, you, you know, uh, and so many people find themselves that way, or they find themselves you know around neighbors where they know they're not going to share their views and it's not going to be well received. Particularly, you know, I think we see this on the issues. My friend Jay Richards calls it the pelvic issues, you know, things having to do with sex one way or the other. But, you know, what do we do when we when we teach children, look adults in the eye, you know, shake their hand, even when they're shy? In other words, we, we they just have to do it. And, and so I think, you know, you just do it. You look for something uh, that you can do, and, and you do it. And, and, and you just have to take that step. Now, the, the second thing I would say is don't do it alone. Uh, you know, I don't think anything in the New Testament having to do with spiritual growth was written really to individuals, except maybe the book of Philemon. Uh, and, you know, even Timothy, you know, uh, the, the books of Timothy were written to, you know, someone in the community, but all the pastoral letters are written to communities. And um, I think we have a kind of a sense of individualism in America that if I'm going to do a ministry, it's going to be me. And, you know, we're really working on this at the Colson Center, trying to figure out, wait a minute, we shouldn't go around the church. We're part of the church. What does that look like? And and I think we all need to do that is don't, don't do it by yourselves. Uh, you know, get people together, pray and talk. Uh, take those questions. Look at your community and put those questions on your community and say, okay, what are we going to do? What, what's missing? What's broken? What's What's good? What's evil? And together answer that question and come up with something and do something. Do the next thing well. And uh, I think that's, you just got to get going. And uh, the support of the body of Christ is, is indispensable. How does um, fellowship with God's people and attending church, that, that seems to tie right into here of don't go it alone. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the prison, uh, the, the CEO of Prison Fellowship, Jim Liskey, says, you know, the church is God's plan A and there's really not a plan B. And I and I think that's uh, you know dead on. Um, we, we are part of the church. Uh, we don't go to church. We are, are the church, and we're not the church alone. Uh, the church, the, you know, Scripture doesn't know Christians who aren't committed to the church. I mean, if you said to me, for example, "Hey, John, I really like you, but I really don't like your wife," you know, you and I won't be friends, right? Because um, she's my bride. And if we say that to God, "Hey, I got it," you know, Jesus, I love you, but I don't really love your bride. <laughs> I, you know, that just doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> And it's and it's offensive, and and I think especially with the emerging generations that there's a real tendency to kind of you know use the church for what's in it for you and not really be committed to it and bring to it, and that's that's just not biblical. On the same token, uh, you know, the churches themselves, you know, we have to really be clear um, on the scope of God's mission, right? Because the scope of God's mission needs to be the scope of the church's mission, and. Uh, you know, there's there's some real challenges facing the church as we move from a place of, you know, uh, cultural power to, to to at least cultural acceptance to now really being, you know, in, in a cultural minority, losing power. You know, where our, our, our members are going to face significant consequences or, or choice between God and Caesar. Uh, you know, the church is needed now more than ever to support 
and to be, uh, you know, to be really clear on the mission of God. Uh, listen, in the name of being relevant, we can give up an awful lot of things that are important to the gospel. Mm, mm. And uh, we're going to have to be very wise moving forward. We're going to have to be very thoughtful. We're going to need to talk to each other about it, and so on. Now, before we run out of time here, John, today on the phone line with me is John Stone Street. Uh, our listeners will recognize him. He he hosts Breakpoint, etc. Uh, could you direct our listeners where they might um, get a copy of this book and uh, possibly a website? Yeah, you bet. Well, you know, the best place to, to follow the work that we're, that we're trying to do on this is breakpoint.org. And I know many of your listeners catch Breakpoint, and I also know we're a four-minute feature, so if they get caught behind traffic, they may miss it on a day. And uh, and so, uh, you know, if you go to breakpoint.org, you can actually sign up and get our daily commentaries and hear them not only on radio, but you can actually get them sent to you in a transcript form and also with a little player so that you can listen to them and you don't miss any of them. So that's a great place to start. And the book, Restoring All Things, is available, you know, really there uh, on, on the Breakpoint bookstore. It's also available on Amazon. So you go to Amazon and click on, uh, you know, that. And then, and then we have a website called restoringallthings.org, and it describes the events. Pretty soon we'll have videos from the events as well as more things from the book. But those are two, you know, great places: breakpoint.org, restoringallthings.org. Thank you very much. You know, I um, I resonated with something you said earlier. I didn't say anything, and that is, um, our churches can have an overemphasis on eschatology, and if it happens to be a, um, oh, I don't know, a, a particular eschatology that's very negative, um, you can presume that uh, you know the answer, and therefore you don't have to do anything. But I, I love this idea, John. Uh, and it's a biblical idea of, of redemptive, restorative work that we can do, that we have to do, that we're called to do, and it's it's a very uh, it's a very um, positive thing. It, it it cheers the heart. Well, it it, it does. And, and, and look, um, one of Chuck Colson's closest collaborators uh, was a guy named Richard John Newhouse, who wrote a remarkable article once called "Telling the World Its Own Story." And I, and I every time I go back to this piece, I realize that it's really shaped my thinking. And Newhouse wrote this. He said. The Christian has not right to despair, because despair is a sin. And the Christian has not reason to despair, quite simply, because Christ has risen. Um, you know, look, the, the, um, any eschatology that leads us to despair is not a Christian one. Um, and, I, and it's not a particular one. That It's oftentimes how we take things overboard. We can do any theological system and take them into a place of despair. But the clear thing we know is that God is at work restoring all things to himself and invites us to join us. Mm-hmm. So however the story is going to end, you know, what, what it means for us in the here and now is really clear. And, uh, you know, be about my Father's business, you know, and we need to clarify what that is and the scope of what that is and then jump in. And the great news is the results aren't up to us. Um, you know, to us, there's only the trying. The rest is God's business. It's another thing that, by the way, that Newhouse says in that article. Mm. And so, um, yeah, and, 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 you know, to me, it's not even a choice between despair and optimism, because there's not a lot to be optimistic about. You know, Western civilization is not doing well. Marriage is in deep trouble and so on. But it's a choice between despair and hope. And hope is not something that is just kind of Pollyannish wishful thinking. Hope is something that stares into the face of the best that the evil one can offer, and says, nevertheless, Christ is risen. He's the, he's the Lord. He's the King. This is the truth. Evil has been defeated. Uh, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's almost Gandalfian, you know? <laughs> you know, like Gandalf and, and Lord of the Rings. Like, it's, we're, not, we're not overlooking evil. We're just saying, look, we know what's true. We know what's real. Christ is risen. Today I've been talking with John Stone Street. 
you hear him every day on Breakpoint, as well as Breakpoint this week. And John, it's it's been a real honor to have you on the program. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thanks so much. And dear listener, uh, this broadcast is up on our website as a podcast. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. God willing, we'll be back next week with another edition of A Plain Answer.